And I'm going to have uh, Joshua come on up, Joshua Matthews, and he's going to read Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 to 9. Why don't you stand for the reading of God's Word? Is it okay if I read it out of my Bible instead of this? Okay. <laughs> it was a joke. I figured it was a yes, so I'm just going to go with it. Hey, good morning, Kettle family. Uh, all right. Joshua 1, verses 1 through 9 goes like this. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you, from the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night, so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Seated. So the elders and staff have been praying for months now about our need for an associate pastor to share the responsibilities of shepherding our growing church, leading our current ministries, and discipling and equipping our congregation for ministry within our church and out in our community. Uh, the elders and the search committee are excited to introduce Tim and Gabby Bennett to you this morning. Tim is our final candidate for that position of associate pastor. As a committee, we're all convinced that God has brought the right couple to us, and we are excited for you to get to know them a little bit this morning. Uh, Tim and Gabby have two girls, Eden and Jubilee. Uh, Tim and Gabby, could you please stand so that they can see you? All right. Mm -hmm. Um, Kelly and I are excited about this possibility because we've known Tim and Gabby for about eight years. Uh, what, was all, what always impressed me was their conviction that God had called them into full-time ministry. And, and though they have been through testing and trial, they have not wavered from that calling. They love God. They love the local church. They love people. They have a strong desire to disciple believers in their walk with Jesus and to proclaim the salvation to the ends of the earth. Uh, the search committee had long and lengthy, thorough conversations with Tim and with them as a couple. Uh, they are genuine and honest. They are strong in what they believe, and yet they're teachable spirits. They uh, are well thought of by those both inside and outside of our faith. Uh, we inquired into their theology and their philosophy of ministry, and they are in line with our church and with us as elders. They're level-headed and prayerful in their decision-making. Uh, Tim is going to speak to us this morning. I'm excited for you to hear what God has laid upon his heart. Uh, his message will be uploaded to the podcast and the YouTube channels uh, by the end of the day, uh, but hopefully this afternoon, and so that everyone then will get an email, everyone on the church email list will get an email with a link to those two places. Um, if you know of other members in the church who are not here today, encourage them to go there and to look and to watch uh, this service. Uh, it will be available this afternoon. After the service, during the Bratluck, uh, everyone's invited to stay and spend time getting to know Tim and Gabby as we celebrate Father's Day together. And then next week, I will conduct a short interview or question-answer time with Tim and Gabby on stage during the morning service. Uh, following that service uh, is our mid-year uh, congregational membership meeting, and this is an important one, so listen up, uh, listen carefully. We need all members to vote uh, it is very important that you do. Husbands and wives need to vote separate because you're different. You're separate ballots. Uh, ballots are available um, if you're not going to be here on the 26th. 
Um, please drop them off in the church mailbox outside the offices there. If you need special accommodations uh, to vote another way, uh, we can you just connect with Kelly in the church office. We will make that happen. You don't have to show ID, but you do have to sign it so we know it's from you. Um, so, Tim, with all that, Tim, why don't you come on up and minister to us this morning? Thanks. Good morning, church. All right, so first things first, um, it's Father's Day, and I'm going to put a medal on real quick because I'm a double father now. I just had my second child, but more so um, a few days ago when my daughter, my two-year-old, two-and-a-half-year-old, found out that I was going to be teaching today in church, she was ecstatic. And she came to me and she's like, Dad, here's your medal for when you teach on Sunday. So <laughs> I'm wearing that. I'm going to take it off because that's weird. But <laughs> I just thought I'd share that story. And I mean, it was something for me as a father. I'm like, that, those are the things that you live for as a dad, you know, that the proud um, acceptance of your children and them wanting to see you succeed and, and celebrate that with you and the love that they have for you. I'm going to pray real quick just so that we can keep this focused on the Lord and um, <clears throat> make sure that my notes open. <clears throat> Father in heaven, uh, thank you um, for this wonderful opportunity to be here. Uh, thank you for the process that took place uh, beforehand. Um, I pray that as I speak today that you will speak through me and that people will be encouraged uh, through your word, um, not necessarily through what I have to say, um, but what you have to say through your word, and that we can take it to heart, and that we can um, really meditate on this and uh, put it into practice in our daily lives uh, after this point. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, so we're going to talk about Joshua. I love the book of Joshua, probably my favorite book of the Bible. Why? I don't know. It's just something draws me to it. It's really fascinating. Uh, first off, a few things about myself. I grew up in rural California, and some of you are probably thinking, what's rural about California, you know? L.A., San Francisco, but I'm a testimony here standing before you that I grew up in a small town, about 6,000 people, that was the cows outnumbered the people like 15 to 1, okay? So it was a, it was a dairy, dairy town, and it's, I find it really fascinating. They moved from one dairy state or dairy place to another dairy state, and it's just like nothing changed. There's still cows here. I love cheese. I love dairy. You know, it's great. It's a good transition. It was easy for me. <clears throat> Outside of that, um, when, I, when I moved to Wisconsin, I came to study the Bible, and I met my wife here, and uh, before I moved here, I was essentially living as an unbeliever. I'd only been saved a year when I moved here, and it was out of a desire to serve the Lord. The Lord met me in a way and renewed me in a way that I could not ignore, and I had to do something about it. And it was actually met with opposition by my family, where I was going in a direction, pursuing a degree in psychology, and I got saved at the age of 21, and I told my parents, I want to go and study the Bible. And my dad's response to that was, uh, I don't think that's a good idea. Why don't you get a real job? So, here we are. <laughs> uh, that was really hard for me to hear in relation to, again, that being Father's Day, I wanted, as, as a child, I wanted my father to encourage me in what I was doing, and I wanted to honor him and what I was doing too. And I was telling him, I want to go study the Word of God. I want to know God. I want to pursue that with my life. And my dad did not want me to do that. 
So it was really difficult for me to make that decision, but I knew that the conviction that the Lord had placed on my heart, that was the right decision. And over time, it has changed, and I've been able to minister to my parents through that, and they've seen the change in my life, which is a great testimony. Still to this day, my parents are not believers. I'm actually the only believer in my immediate family, Um, but the Lord is working. Uh, After moving to Wisconsin, my wife and I, or I guess I moved, we got married. Now it's my wife and I. We got married after uh, Bible school um, here in Wisconsin, and I thought life as a Christian was going to be easier than life as a non-believer. Now, I was a little mistaken there, which uh, I come to find out later on, and through that, my wife and I, after graduation, we were completely devoted to being involved in ministry, and we were sold out. We're like, we're going to go overseas. We're going to be missionaries. We're going to do all these things. We're going to serve the Lord. This is God's call for our life. And we took every possible avenue of doing that that we could, and it was constantly like God was, we were like, oh, God, we want to serve you. You're not going there. God, we want to serve you over here. No, you're not going there. So we tried to get overseas so hard (laughs) that we actually went on a vision trip, and then a coup happened, and then all U.S. visas in the country that we were trying to go to were shut down, and we literally could not go to the country. It was illegal for us to be in that country for a year. But God was doing something different. God had a different plan. What we were doing is we, we thought that our will to serve God was the right way to do it, and we weren't focusing on what God's will in our lives was. We weren't really seeing what God actually wanted us to do, the people he wanted us to minister to, because we were so focused on our goals in life that we couldn't really see. It was like we were walk it was like a horse with blinders on. We're just we don't see what's going on, what God is trying to show us and reveal to us. We're just going straight in this one direction. And it got to a point where we ended up getting involved in refugee ministry in the south side of Milwaukee. And the reason we did that was one aspect of it was because of the coup. Um, So we couldn't get over there, and we're like, we want to work with Turkish people in Turkey. We couldn't get to Turkey. But Turkish people were living right in our neighborhood. And for some reason, we couldn't figure that out. We couldn't figure out that God had placed people in our lives that we could minister to, the same type of people that we wanted to minister to, But we just didn't feel like it was valuable here for some reason, and we had to only be able to do it overseas. But once we figured out that God was putting people in our lives, and these people were hungry. They were coming to us. They wanted to have relationships with us, and we're like, hey, we're leaving the country. So now as time went on, we started to realize that the Lord's will for our lives was maybe a little bit different. Maybe we didn't need to go overseas. Maybe we needed to minister right where we were presently. And God presented that to us in a way where we started to be a little bit more receptive to his word. We started to get more involved in what he was calling us to do. And one of those things was to go back to school. So for a long time, we were so focused on ministry that, um, and then God called both of us to actually go back to school to go to Moody Bible Institute. And for seven years of our marriage, we had been trying to get pregnant, and we could not get pregnant. And the day that we got accepted to go to Moody Bible Institute, we found out we were pregnant. So that is the way the Lord works. He says, if, you're gonna, if you follow my will, I will prosper you. So we knew from that point, we'd been trying for seven years, thinking we were doing what the Lord wanted us to do, and it wasn't working. And as soon as we just submitted ourselves to his will in our lives, then things started to happen. Now, sometimes it takes a strange turn. Apparently, God had planned for there to be a pandemic. So we got accepted to Moody Bible Institute in 2019, and we moved to Chicago in 2019, uprooted our family, You know, my wife and I, very pregnant wife, move into Chicago. We're living on campus at Moody Bible Institute. A few months later, 
God says, well, I want coronavirus to show up and cause a crazy pandemic all over the world. There you go. We're in Chicago. Disaster. I mean, I've never thought in all of my life that the biggest need in someone's life would be toilet paper. Okay? <laughs> so, after this happened, we, we essentially were encountered with the Lord was renewing us because our desire to know Him and grow closer to a relationship with Him, He changed us in ways that I never could have imagined through that process. We had worked with refugees, displaced people, and then we moved to Chicago. A pandemic struck. We got kicked out of the school because they shut down. We couldn't live on campus anymore. Um, I worked on campus, so I lost my job, and we had to leave. Like, we just had, they're just like, you need to go. And we're like, okay, where do we go? We don't have anywhere to go. So we actually ended up moving in with my in-laws because we didn't know what was going to happen. For the next two and a half years of our lives, we became displaced people. We had nowhere to really call home. We didn't know what was going to happen. We had a, a newborn baby that we had to take with us. And all we could do was rely on the Lord. He became our refuge. He became our strength. He became our provision for the next two and a half years. Because that's all we knew. That's all we knew what to do. We just said, you know what? We don't know what's going to happen, but we know that the Lord will take care of us, and we know that we're going to continue to follow His will. And His will is for us to be here and to study His Word and to know Him better. <clears throat> so sometimes God takes us to places we don't understand so that He can prepare us for something greater. <clears throat> We've all been through some sort of trials in our lives, most likely. Raise of, raise of hands, anybody been through a struggle in their life? Yep, okay. <clears throat> so with that being said, some of the challenges, sometimes we think we feel like unprepared for those or uncertain about the outcome or just unclear about why it's even happening. And we cry out to God, we're like, sometimes we even blame God for our situation occasionally. And it's right, like, it's right, it's okay for us to be frustrated and it's okay for us to be angry with what's going on in our lives because it's a struggle. Everybody struggles. You know, we see that throughout Scripture. People go through struggles and they cry out to the Lord, Lord, help me. So really it comes down to how are we going to respond when these situations come up? How are we going to encounter these challenges and these struggles in our lives when they happen? <clears throat> they come in many forms, but how do we respond? And as we go through this passage today, I'm going to show you that true success actually comes from aligning ourselves with the will of God. <clears throat> now, in Joshua, to give a little context of what's going on right now, uh, the first five verses, we're going to get into the meat, which is six through nine. How many people are familiar with Joshua 1.9? How many people is their favorite verse? I love it. Be strong and courageous, right? There's more to it. How are we to be strong and courageous? Where does that strength and courage come from? Why is God telling Joshua to be strong and courageous? What's the context of what's happening? So the context is, we have Joshua, who's succeeding Moses, who is leading the Israelite people, who had been trapped in the wilderness, cursed to be in the wilderness for 40 years. Why? Why were they stuck in the wilderness? Well, if we look back into <clears throat> Numbers, it talks about how Moses elected a person from each tribe, a man from each tribe, to go and spy out the land. They, Twelve of them, they come back, and only two of them are like, yeah, this is good, we should follow the Lord. And the rest of them are like, no, people are too strong, it's a great land, but we cannot overcome them. We're, gonna be, we're like grasshoppers to those people. They're huge. They're going to annihilate us. And one of my favorite parts about that is that they, they 
eventually kind of reject Moses in that time, and they're like, we don't like this Moses guy anymore. Let's elect someone else to take us back to Egypt. And they cry out to God and say, would it rather that we die in this wilderness than follow Moses into this land? Would it rather that we go back to Egypt? It would be better for us. And God immediately responds to them and says, okay, you are going to die in the wilderness. (laughs) Because they didn't understand the will of the Lord. Because God promised them, you will have this land. It is a done deal. And that's what we're coming into. We're coming into a generation of people that has lived their entire lives in the wilderness. Only two of the people that are going to enter the land are actually from the Exodus generation, Joshua and Caleb. Joshua, the one leading them in, and Caleb. Because those two, who have actually seen the land and been a part of the land, come back, and when the people say, we, don't, we shouldn't go in there, they cry out and say, no, the Lord has given this land to us. He has promised it to us. We need to listen to the Lord and respond and go in it. He will take care of everything else. It's not about us. So then, at that point, God says, well, I'm going to kill off all of these evil generation, except for Joshua and Caleb. He's very specific about that, which I think is fun. So they're camped outside on on the east side of the Jordan, waiting to go into the land. Moses has just died, and only two of them have ever been in the land, Joshua and Caleb, so they know what they're going into. They know the challenges that are coming from that. With that, God is commissioning, and this is the first time that I think that God actually speaks directly to Joshua. Prior to this, God spoke through Moses, and then Moses communicated whatever that was to Joshua, who was actually when he came back, when Joshua returned as a spy, Moses essentially was, he designated Joshua, or God told Moses to designate Joshua as his disciple or servant from that point on. So Joshua was learning so much. He was like Moses' right-hand man. He's actually referred to as the servant of Moses, Joshua the son of Nun, Moses' servant, in verse 1. So, as we go through the first five verses, it's really God is preparing, or be, it's, be, it's a precursor to Joshua, and God is speaking to Joshua saying, hey, I just want you to remember that I promised you the land, I promised it to your fathers, and this is all the land, and it, it tells the physical allocations, and that no man will be able to stand against you. Because I was with Moses. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. How was God with Moses? And that's what we're going to talk about. In verse 6, it says, Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. In verse 6, we have uh, God telling Joshua to be strong and courageous. Now, one of my favorite things about the Hebrew language, which is really funny about English, is English speakers don't like repetition, which is why they word things and translate things like this. So in the Hebrew, it says, be strong and have strength. But because English speakers don't like repetition, they say, be strong and courageous. It implies the same thing, but the idea of not only being strong and having strength is both of those things are connected to a singular thing, okay? Whereas there's an aspect of strength, and courage is going and showing that strength. But being strong and having strength are representative of two things, or of one singular thing. So they're both tied to a singular thing. And Joshua is being communicated to by the Lord, saying, be strong and have strength, for you shall take this people in to possess the land, which I swore to their fathers to give to them. So God here is addressing an aspect of what Joshua is going to do, an aspect of what he needs to have that strength for. So he's going to lead these people 
on a military campaign into the land. And he needs to have strength to lead those people in a military campaign. But in addition to that, that strength is not his own strength. Okay? The strength that Joshua needs to have and hold on to and essentially stand firm in is the strength that God has promised Joshua will possess this land. It's not necessarily Joshua's physical strength. It's not his military strength because he knows going into this that the people that they're going to run into are going to be bigger. They're going to be stronger physically because he's been there. He's seen this. So what God is saying is, you need to be strong in me, and Joshua's strength is to come not from himself or from his own means or from his own ideas or military strategies, but from God's will and knowing that God has already given them the land and knowing that God has prepared for them to be victorious. So Joshua needs to remember to fear the Lord because the fear of the Lord is to follow his commands. God has given Joshua commands. Just as he was with Moses, he will be with Joshua. And the way that the the Lord was with Moses was through the giving of his commands, through the giving of the law. And Moses constantly teaching and showing people and shepherding the Israelite people into serving the Lord. And the people constantly rebelled against that, and they made idols, and they grumbled and complained, and all that, on and on. But still, Moses stayed strong in the commands of the Lord. As we move into verse 7, it says again, it repeats, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. Now, my favorite part about this is this is God repeating something that he already told to Moses, which is why when he's, he's talking about the commands that I gave to Moses, I'm also giving to you, and I will be with you the same way I was with Moses, is in reference to this. He uses the exact same wording of this when he speaks to Moses in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 5, <clears throat> 32, God says this to Moses, You shall keep and do just as the Lord has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right or to the left. So God is telling Joshua, the way I was with Moses is the way I was with you. I'm commanding you the same way I commanded Moses. You need to keep my commandments. You do not turn to the right or to the left. You need to stay on the straight and narrow path. So God is telling Joshua that he needs to align his will with God's will. He says, basically God is telling Joshua, if you follow my will and you follow my commands, you can't fail. You can't fail because I don't fail, is what God is saying. Another way to say that is, well, I'm going to do this. Are you coming? Or, if you follow me, you will succeed because I don't fail. That's what God is telling Joshua. If you follow me, you will succeed because I do not fail. God is showing Joshua his faithfulness, his strength, and he's telling them that that is how he is to be strong. That is how he is to be bold. That is how he is to be courageous. His strength and his courage are not to come from himself. They're to come from God's commands. They're to come from God's character. They're to come from who God is, and knowing and fearing the Lord and seeing that he is going to provide. He is going to be the one that does everything. And Joshua needs only to submit to the will of the Lord and follow what he is telling him to do and commanding him to do, and he will succeed. It's not personal success. It's not military success. But it's actually the success of the Lord. 
Joshua will succeed because the Lord succeeds. So if he submits to his will, he can't fail. <clears throat> A few fun little word things. Um, so there's two words that I want to draw attention to here that kind of get, help give a little bit more context to um, connecting God's will with the commands and how you should be strong in the commands and the will of the Lord. And one of those words is um, taskil, which is a Hebrew word, um, which here it's translated success. Uh, two different words in these, in verse, in verse 7, um, are used to say success. Uh, one of them is taskil, which is what we're talking about. But it more, a more accurate translation of that would be, not that it doesn't mean that you'll have success, but it's more tied to how you will be successful as opposed to just success. Um, and the way that that word is generally translated, the general meaning of that is, um, you will have insight, understanding, or wisdom, okay? So when Another way to read this would be, if you, uh, if you don't turn from, do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have wisdom or understanding or insight wherever you go. And this is directly tied to wisdom, understanding, or insight of God's Word, of God's commands. If you understand the commands of God, then you will succeed. Your ways will prosper. Because God's ways prosper. That's just the way it is. There's no argument there. God will prosper. We all know that, right? Amen? Amen. Will God succeed? Yeah. Always. He will not fail. So if you understand His commands and His will for your life, and you know that He succeeds, you will be succeeding through His will if you are serving God. Again, if, you're, if your will is aligned uh, with God's will, then you will succeed. <clears throat> another word is, um, hold on a second. Uh, another word is uh, hagita, which here is tra it's translated meditate in a lot of different um, versions of Scripture. Uh, it's mo most often used in poetry, and which is where it's translated meditate, which is why it's translated meditate here. But it actually more specifically means to, like a better way to look at it would be to recite as opposed to meditate, because meditate is an understanding of like an internal thing going on, whereas this word most when it's not used in poetry, is most often used in relation to a noise being made, something that is heard, not something that is unheard. And it's used for animals as well. Um, it generally means to moan or utter or growl or coo. Um, and this is in verse 8. <clears throat> verse 8, um, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth you shall meditate or recite it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous. And then again, taskil, you will have insight, understanding, or wisdom. <clears throat> now, What does it mean to, in this, when it says to meditate, or if we're to take it to recite, or moan, utter, growl, or coo, the commands of God? When it talks, like cooing, it's, when I think of cooing, I think of my newborn, because she, if anybody's familiar with babies cooing, they just kind of mumble and make noise, and it's adorable. Um, but in this, <laughs> it's not really talking about that. But um, it's actually talking about cooing like birds, so like pigeons or doves. How many people think pigeons or doves are super annoying, right? Constantly, right? It's like, can you stop, please? That's the idea. 
The idea is that it's constant. You are constantly reciting, repeating the commands, the words of God everywhere you go. And this is directly linked to the Shema statement. And that is what God is telling Joshua. He's saying, the way that I worked was with Moses, I will be with you. And the way that he was with Moses, if we look back <clears throat> into, um, one, if we look forward, we look to Jesus, right? In Mark chapter 12, the scribes come to him and say, hey, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus' reply is, he replies to the Shema. Hero, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That is, Jesus' reply is the greatest commandment. So Jesus himself is referencing the Shema at that point. And the Shema is something that pretty much all Jews have committed to memory. And it's something that they recite regularly. Because Moses commanded that people do this. <clears throat> the full Shema is in Deuteronomy. Let's see. Deuteronomy 6. Real quick here. Deuteronomy 6, 4. <clears throat> now, if we go back a few verses from Deuteronomy 6, chapter one, or uh, verse 1, uh, into Deuteronomy 30, uh, chapter 5, 32, this is where we get when God is telling Moses, you shall observe and do just as the Lord has commanded you, and you shall not turn aside to the right or the left. And then he goes into, and in verse 1, we get an idea of what that command is. Because Moses himself says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, the judgments, which the Lord your God has commanded me to you, to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going to possess it. So Moses hears from God, and God says, you need to know this, you need to practice this, you need to recite this, you need to memorize this, you need, this needs to be everything about you. You need to meditate on this. And then Moses goes to the Israelites and says, you need to do this too, because this is what you're going to do in the land. So the promise of the land is tied to the Israel's following the commands of God. <clears throat> now, down in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, a few verses later, we find the Shema. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God, or the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons. And this is important. And this is a parallel to verse 8 in Joshua. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. <clears throat> and if we go to Joshua 1.8, <clears throat> it says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. <clears throat> so, God is telling Joshua the same thing he told Moses, and saying, now that you're taking over that role, this is the most important information that you need to know when going over there. You need to align your will with mine if you're going to succeed. Because if you try to do it on your own strength, if you try to do it your own way, you're going to fail. Because it's about you. God is saying it's about me, it's about my ways, it's about my commandments, it's about what I'm telling you to do. And when you do those things, you will get into the land. Because you see that the people weren't doing those things, even though the land was promised to them, and then they were cursed to be in the wilderness for 40 years. So, the idea of constantly reciting. Now, not only should we internalize God's Word in a meditation sense, which I'm not knocking the translation. I think it's a great translation because we should meditate on God's Word. But that's not all we should do. 
We should internalize it, but we should also speak it boldly. We should recite it regularly. People should hear and know that we're following the commands of God. They should know that our, we are aligning our will with the will of the Lord. Because when they know that, and they see that God is prospering us in whatever way, even when we're stuck in challenges in life, and we constantly remember God's will will prosper us, because God's will will prosper. It's not about our success. It's not about our well-being, but it's about the success of the will of the Lord. It's about knowing that God's will will happen. The question is, are we willing to submit ourselves to that? Not only submit ourselves to that, but recognize so like how we weren't really paying attention to what the will of the Lord was. He was displacing hundreds of thousands of people all over the world and bringing them to Milwaukee. And we were still trying to get overseas. We did not recognize the will of the Lord for what was going on. Not only do we need to submit to the Lord's will, we need to look and we need to see, what is God doing and how can I get involved? How is God moving in the world right now? Do these people need to know him? And if they do, I merely need to show up because God's will is that they know him. God desires all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. How are we going to get involved in that? <clears throat> so, in verse 8, it says, uh, where'd it go? Oh, like, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. So this is a parallel with Deuteronomy 6-7, where it says you shall talk about them when you go about the way, when you rise up day in the day, when you lie down at night. So he's saying the same thing. He's repeating to Joshua everything that he had already told to Moses so that Joshua knows, I am going to be with you the same way I'm going to be with Mo I was with Moses. And the way I was with you, or the way I was with Moses was through the commands that I gave him, through the statutes, through the laws, and through understanding that I am your God, and I'm the only one. That is how you are to know. And in verse 9, lovely verse, God essentially bookends it. He just like packages it up the whole thing, and repeats it to Joshua so that he gets the idea, and he says, have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? So he just commanded him to be strong and courageous. So all throughout verse, verse 6 and 7, he's using imperatives. God is literally, when God uses an imperative, it's non-negotiable. This is happening. Do it. Don't argue with me. He's saying, so in verse and uh, when he tells him to get up and go across the Jordan, it's a, let's see, it's an imperative. He said, get up, go across the Jordan. Don't wait. Why are you sitting here? Do it. And he uses the same language throughout the rest of the verse. Be strong and courageous. This is an imperative. Do it. It's a command. God is commanding Joshua to do these things. And in verse 9, he's like, have I not commanded you to do this? So maybe Joshua, I don't know, was going through some struggles, and he's just like, I don't know if I can handle this. This is a big responsibility. And Josh is again, or uh, God is again encouraging him, saying, have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? It's a rhetorical question. Of course he has. <clears throat> and he says, do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. How is the Lord with Joshua wherever he goes? in his commandments, in speaking to him, obviously. But God is telling Joshua, if you understand my will and you understand my commandments and you follow them and you serve me and you align your will with mine, I will always be with you. You will never be without me because you will understand who I am, you will fear me, and you will understand what I'm trying to do to get you into the land. <clears throat> Now, 
The success that Joshua is going to have is not personal success or military success, but he's actually going to share in the success of God's will by aligning himself with that. So true success actually comes from when we align ourselves with the will of God. Now, as we go, you know, throughout our daily lives, what does it look like to align ourselves with the will of God? That's an excellent question. (laughs) Um, So you might find yourself in a trial or a challenge like you have in the past, but now you have the opportunity to look at it in a different way, not man, this is so hard. God, why did you do this to me? On the other hand, you can see like, God, what are you doing through this? And what does your word tell me? How can I align myself with your will for my life? What what do I need to do? How can I serve you in this trial? How can I be renewed in this time? How can I come to know you better? So for us, that two and a half years of displacement was probably the greatest growth spiritually that I have ever had in my life. I mean, it was just challenge after challenge after challenge after challenge after challenge. But it was God coming to us and telling us, if you align your will with mine, you'll never be without me. You're good. You just need to focus and understand who I am and that I'm not going to go away. I know it's going to be hard, I know it's going to be challenging. I know there's going to be times when you want to give up. But that's okay, because I'm still here. Knowing God's will can be really challenging sometimes. And one of my teachers in the past, by the name of Rick Barth, was asked a question. Some of you might know Rick Barth. Great man. Um, He was asked a question when we were discussing the will of God and how to understand the will of God. And the question was, how do we know what the will of God is for our lives? A student asked. And Rick responded, and this reply that he gave, the response that he gave, has like constantly stuck in my mind forever. He said, 90% of God's will has been revealed to us right here through his word. The other 10% remains a mystery. The 10% being, where am I going to work? What am I going to eat for dinner? What kind of car should I drive? Nonsensical things. But we want God to do everything for us, right? That 10% remains a mystery because it's not important. The problem that Christians tend to have is that they spend 90% of their time looking for the 10% and only 10% of their time looking at the 90. Now, that challenged me. When he said that, I was like, oh, shoot. (laughs) I guess I'm not eating today. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) But, I mean, to know that, to know that 90% of God's will for our life is right here. We have it daily. We can look at this and we can read it and be like, God, what do you, what do you want me to do? Oh, okay, I'll do that. As opposed to focusing on less important things that we can't control, that are out of our control completely. What we can control is that God has given us the majority of his will, and we should spend the majority of our time understanding what that is. <clears throat> if we incorporate the word of God into our daily life, then our ways will succeed because God's ways are succeeding. God is succeeding through our lives. They will succeed because they're not our ways, they're God's ways. Now, if we as a church are able to align our will more intimately with the will of God, then we can have a greater impact for the kingdom of God, which is ultimately why the church exists, right? We're here to represent God. We're representatives of the one true living God. When we are met with challenges and opposition, are we going to spurn God like the Israelites did 
when they were trying, when Moses sent them into the land to scout it out, and they came back and said, ah, oh, we don't like you, Moses. Can we get another leader to take us back to Egypt? Or, when we see a challenge set before us, are we going to stand firm or have strength, or be strong and have strength in God's word, and stand firm in the word of the Lord, and know that God has given us everything that we need? Are we focused on temporal or temporary personal success or the eternal succeeding of the will of God? And as a church and as believers, I think that regularly we need to remind ourselves, just as God is telling Joshua to remind himself, you need to be strong and have strength in my commands. And that we should regularly ask ourselves, are we aligning ourselves with the will of God? That should be a daily question. Is the way that I'm living right now, the choices that I'm making, the things that have come before me, things that people have said to me or the way people treated me and my response to that, am I aligning myself with the will of God? Heavenly Father, thank you that again, for this opportunity to come and speak and share just the challenges that I've been through in my life. And I pray that as we go throughout the rest of our life, that we can devote our time to understanding your will, to being in your word, to knowing your commands for our lives. And when we encounter challenge and opposition, whatever that may be, or however that looks, that we will be strong and have strength and courage and boldness to rely on your word, on your commands, to focus on you, and that you will get us through that. That it is not our strength. It is not our success. That is not the goal. But the goal is that You bring challenges so that we are drawn closer to you, that we know you better, that your will will be done so that we can see your will and that we can help to glorify you and that we can help the kingdom to grow in your name. In Jesus' name, amen.